to pray or not to pray. Look at Ephesians chapter number 6. Verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, and then most of us know the list. Paul goes through and teaches us how to guard ourselves and put on armor that we might defend ourselves against the wiles, the, um, the, the tricks or the tactics, <clears throat> the snares of the devil. And if you've had your eyes open very long, you know that his wiles are everywhere. We read in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we are not to be ignorant of his devices. Paul says Satan has devices, he has traps, he has Things that he wants you to fall into, snares all around you. And he says, don't be ignorant of them, but instead put on this armor that you might defend yourself against it. And he mentioned several things that we could do to put on an armor that we might have a defense. But he ends in verse number 17 by changing from defense to offense. After he says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation... He says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He says, number one, take the Word of God. That's going to be your weapon. You you have your defense, and anyone knows anything about sports knows it's required to have a good defense to win a ball game. But if all you have is a good defense, you could still lose without an offense. Paul says, take number one, the sword of the Spirit. Know your Bible. He says, get the truth in you that you might be able to defend yourself against Satan, for we know that he's the father of all lies. He was a liar from the beginning, and when he speaks, he speaketh not the truth, he speaks lies. So, so Paul says, get the, the word of God in you that you might be able to defend yourself and oppose him. But look in verse 18, 17 ends with a colon, 18 completes the thought. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then Paul continues by asking a couple prayer requests in verse 19 and following. Why do people not pray? Number one, prayer enlists you as a soldier. As Americans, we enjoy freedoms. We enjoy liberties. We enjoy a life of ease compared to so many places on this planet. All of us enjoy the freedoms, but few want to defend those freedoms. We're living in a day where the, the, the loudmouths, the, many times even in masses, they love to really bring down and, and oppose what brought us liberty and trample on the things that uh, brought us to where we are. They enjoy the liberties they have, but they have no intentions of defending them. Unfortunately, that way of thinking has crept into our lives spiritually often. We enjoy the liberties we have in Christ, but we have no desire to really defend them. 
We, we enjoy being a Christian. We enjoy being able to come on a Wednesday night and hear a lesson and sing some songs and find encouragement. We enjoy opportunities to serve. We enjoy places of fellowship. But when it comes down to real spiritual warfare, seldom do many want to really get into the fray. But can I tell you tonight that prayer directly gets in you into the, the, the attacks of the devil. It puts you on the front lines. It places you really where the, the battles are, mentally and spiritually in your heart, and even sometimes in the lives around you. Prayer forces you to the front lines where we find direct conflict and opposition from the devil. Prayer requires you to side with righteousness or oppose evil. So you can't walk the fence. You, you, can, you can kind of be on the fence when you're on the sidelines. But when you get into the battle, you've got to choose, who am I fighting for? Am I fighting with the flesh or am I opposing the flesh? Am I fighting the spirit or am I fighting for the spirit? It forces you to make decisions. And most of us know we don't really enjoy making the hard decisions. And that's not a new thing. Go back to Elijah. He asked the people, he said, Halt ye between two opinions. If God be uh, true, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. He said, make up your mind. You, you want it both ways. You want the providence of God. You want the blessings of God. But you don't really want to worship God in His holiness. Far too many Christians find themselves in that same place. They want to enjoy the blessings and prosperities of Christianity and the, the hope and the eternal life. But they don't really want to partake in the dirty work of the spiritual life. When you really enter into prayer, you find that Satan opposes it with a passion. Because unfortunately, I think Satan understands its power more than we do. See, there's a lot of things you can do spiritually that you find little resistance to. Coming to church tonight probably wasn't all that difficult. Sometimes it is for some people. Seems like on Wednesday nights, you could find an excuse for coming. Singing in the choir, you probably don't find too much opposition on. I'm not saying these things aren't important. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we had someone lead singing tonight. I wasn't going to do it. <clears throat> I don't think I'd be able to do it. I couldn't have done both. But some of these things, they don't, they, you don't find a lot of opposition. But in a little bit, we're going to spend some time praying. You'll find, if you don't know anything about prayer, you find that the moment you go to pray, you find opposition. It seems like distractions come out of nowhere. It seems like thoughts begin to come into your mind that you hadn't had before. The moment you decide to pray, there, you engage in spiritual activity, and Satan opposes it. And I think this is just one of the reasons we choose not to pray. And we miss out on the offense. We miss out on really pushing back the powers of darkness because we refuse to pray. Satan hates prayer, for this is what causes his defeat. Therefore, few things will be fought like our prayer life. I don't know how to convince people tonight and sometimes I struggle to just convince myself how worthy prayer is and how needful it is for us to engage in it and find a way to overcome and trust the Lord and, and walk in the Spirit that we might not be hindered in our prayer life. Look at, let me just go ahead and read in verse number 
19, after, after Paul says, he says, let's look at this in verse 18 first. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. That's the asking for things. In the Spirit, he said, you, you, put, you engage yourself in the Spirit when you pray. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance. He said, you've got to focus. You've got to engage yourself because there's distractions. And supplications for all saints. He says, pray for everybody. Supplicate, seek God on the behalf of others. Verse 19, he says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He says, I have struggles, I have temptations, Satan wants to hold me back, but he said, when you enter into your secret place in prayer, when you engage in prayer, you relieve me and, and, and allow me to find victory. Because prayer is a spiritual thing. Prayer enlists you as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Number two, prayer opposes the flesh. Look at over in Matthew chapter 26. This famous place where Jesus takes his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse number 40. It says, And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is selfish and soft, and prayer forces the spirit to have preeminence and puts the flesh into subjection. See, our flesh desires what feels good to our bodies. Our flesh enjoys, you know, ice cream and cake. Our flesh enjoys the recliner. Our flesh enjoys... Um, games and activities that we're good at or we enjoy doing. That, the ease and comfort, that's what our flesh enjoys. And prayer cuts at the very heart of our flesh. <clears throat> you can't pray in the flesh. There's no such thing. You can recite prayers in the flesh. You can say words in the flesh. But you can't engage in prayer in the flesh. As we read just a moment ago in Ephesians, he says, praying in the Spirit. When you truly pray, it requires you to pray in the Spirit. You you, you can only pray, real prayer can only be done in the Spirit. If you're praying, in quotations, if you're praying in the flesh, you're not really praying. You may be saying words, you may be saying what you might consider the right words, but I can assure you that God's not impressed by those words. In fact, we read in the Bible where it talks about those groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes you go to God and you don't even know what to say. God says, that's the kind of prayers that I hear. But that kind of praying goes against our flesh. See, prayer takes up our time. Look there in uh, verse number 40. He says, could you not pray with me at the end of verse 40? What could you not pray with me one hour? Prayer takes up time. Prayer seeks God's will. Our flesh doesn't want God's will. Our flesh wants my will. My flesh wants my will. 
My flesh desires what I want. And I want what my flesh wants. And that's easy for all of us. But prayer desires God, God's will. Jesus said, as he entered into the, entered into the garden, he said, this, you know, this cup, let it pass from me. I don't want it. But if it's your will, I'll take it. Prayer is humbling. It says here in verse number um, 37, he took it, um, or verse <clears throat> 39, and he went a little further. Sorry, verse 39, and fell on his face and prayed. I know there's nothing extra spiritual about kneeling down or as Jesus did, falling on your face, but there's something humbling about getting on your knees, especially maybe at an invitation or a church service where you're saying, God, I'm willing to humble myself even before man. Humiliation or a state of being humble opposes your flesh and your flesh Love's pride, it opposes that humbling state of prayer. Prayer admits needs and weaknesses, which your flesh hates to do. See, our, our flesh loves to focus on what we're good at and how strong we are and how this we are and how that we are. Prayer says, God, I can't do it on my own. I was talking to someone just this morning about Solomon, how he went in before God and he said, I'm like a little child. I don't know how to come out or go in. He said, God, I'm getting ready to possess the kingdom. I'm going to sit on the throne, and I can't do it. Pride or uh, Prayer says, Lord, I can't do it, and I'm trusting you to do it through me. Why don't people pray? To pray or not to pray? To not to pray because it opposes our flesh. <clears throat> Number three, prayer sets you apart spiritually. You're there in Matthew 26. Let's go ahead and read through this, starting in verse 36. It says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. First of all, prayer takes you often into places where you're alone. Not just into your prayer closet, but sometimes you find yourself having to get away from the crowds or getting away from communion with others, getting away from even time with your family. It sets you apart. Look at verse number 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Prayer also influences our emotions. We're talking about how it sets you apart. It influences your emotions. You you begin to pray for the needs of others and I can assure you, you, you realize your needs aren't that significant. You go into your prayer closet with burdens, but then re- begin to pray for the burdens of others. And you find a brokenness that only God can give you. You find a, a, a state of mind that only God can give you. It, it influences your emotions. Here he was heavy. He began to be very sorrowful. Verse number 38, he says, Then with... Uh, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Then he said, Tarry ye here, and watch with me. It causes you to watch or be on guard and alert. See, true prayer, frequently throughout the Bible, we read it in Ephesians, we read it here. Jesus said it, Paul said it, he said, Watch and pray. See, prayer engages you in the battle, therefore it requires you to be on guard and alert. 
because Satan's going to immediately try to attack. It requires you to be alert of sins and distractions and temptations. Unfortunately, in our Christian realm, so often if you're a person who is on alert of temptation and opposes sin and, and things that might hinder your prayer life, often it's not very popular. Because if you're on lo- a high alert of sin and on where, uh, uh, watching to where, what is Satan going to do to distract me and, and cause me to stumble spiritually? You find that you're questioning the music that you listen to. You, you, you're questioning the entertainment that comes into your house. You're questioning the places that you go. You're questioning the communication that you're involved with. And you find it's not all that popular to live a lifestyle like that. Prayer sets you apart. Look at verse number 39. And he went a little further, talking about Jesus, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will but as thou wilt. Prayer changes your appetites. You engage in prayer. And I can't explain this because it's a spiritual thing. But I can assure you, you find yourself learning to pray. Praying and seeking God for things. And He begins to change your heart. He'll give you desires that you'd never had before. He'll give you concerns that you never thought you could have before. He'll break your heart for people He'll give you compassion for people you don't even know. He changes your appetite. Look at verse number 40. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Prayer uh, keeps us often from sleep. Jesus, rising up a great while before day. We read that so often in the New Testament. He knew that the only time he could get alone with his father was in the morning early. Or often he would go out into a deserted place at night and pray into the night. Here it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's late. And he goes out because he he knows he needs to pray. I read a quote from Corey Ten Boom. She said, anything that's too small for us to pray about should be too small for us to be burdened about. You know, if it's, if, it's so, if it's so small that we don't need to pray about it, I think, as she said, it's true. It's too small for us to worry about. But the things that cause us to worry, the things that cause us to be burdened, ought to be something we pray about. Here, Jesus was concerned and he was worried and he said, I can't go to sleep tonight, gentlemen. I've got to go pray. I don't always do this, but I love nights where I don't love nights where I wake up and can't go back to sleep. But I do love nights where I force my lazy carcass out of bed and find a place to pray. I can't sleep anyways. And somehow, as I said a moment ago about the temptations that come with prayer, if you can't sleep, I dare you to get on your knees and start praying. And it's the, I don't know, maybe it's the devil that puts you to sleep. I don't know, but you, you get real tired real fast. <clears throat> Last night, at an utterly ungodly time, it was about 1.45. I can't think of a, a worse time in the night than 1.45. Our smoke alarm started going off. There was no smoke, though. And that one set off the other one, you know, these newfangled things that are extra smart. 
This is the second or third time this has happened. Isaac wakes up screaming. Only when it beeps. It beeps and then it stops. He screams. So I'm trying to calm him down. You know, it's like the, the faucet's on. I'm trying to mop up the floor and I can't do both at the same time. It beeps again. And, you know, I'm trying to say in the spirit, I know I got to preach tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, and so I have to go in the kitchen, get a chair. I'm in his room in the dark. He's crying. I'm trying to turn this thing off. I get it off. It, I feel it's one of those you got to, you know, unplug. I go to unplug. I think it's going to be real hard. It's real easy. I jerk it apart. It goes flying down the hallway. And uh, it's still beeping, though. So the battery comes out. And now it starts that chirping, you know, nothing more annoying than the chirping of a uh, smoke alarm. So Isaac cries one more time, and I step out the back door, and I chuck it into the neighbor's yard. No, I didn't do that. I was tempted to, though. I step out the back door, and I'm trying to fiddle with this thing. Then I realize the battery had come out, and I don't know if it's going to chirp anymore, but it was going to stay outside. I go back in to put Isaac back to bed. He was already asleep. I guess he never really woke up. You know, I'm, I'm a wide awake at that point. I go to lay down. <clears throat> My wife rolls over, and I said, thanks for your help mildly, mildly sarcastically. She says, I didn't hear it. And I'm thinking, one day there's going to be a news alert. You know, family of six dies in a burning blaze. All the smoke alarms worked. And uh, I was laying there, you know, practically sweating from all the excitement. And I thought, I can't, I can't, I can't sleep in this. So I got up and I spent some time in prayer. You know, what a blessed time it is in the middle of the night. We can pray for people. You know, I'm nobody special. But God calls us and commands us to engage in prayer. We can find such a blessed thing when we can share the burdens of the believers, pray for the needs that surround us, even in the middle of the night. Here we find that prayer keeps us often from sleep. Look again in verse number 40. It says, and he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? We find that prayer often distracts you from life. See, it set these men apart for potentially a full hour. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't have an hour to pray. Give me a break. You know, we have an hour to do all kinds of stuff. I was listening to a news clip one morning, and uh, there's a guy on the radio that I sometimes listen to on my drive to work, and he said, I used to be involved with Twitter and Facebook, and then my new phone showed me how much time I spend on there. And when I realized I was spending three hours a day looking over Facebook and Twitter, I, I canceled both of them. He's not saved either, but he had enough brains to know that three hours a day, you know, scrolling through Facebook is dumb. We waste an hour a day with nothing, with idle time. I'm not saying you have to pray every day for an hour, but Jesus asked these men twice, could you not pray with me for an hour? Could you not find an hour of your time to share my burdens with me? He had just finished, look in verse number 31. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. 
For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. He reminds them of his death and how they're going to scatter like sheep. You remember Peter says, oh, if, you know, if everybody is offended at you, I'll never be offended. I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, you'll deny me thrice before the, the night's over. Here these men had an opportunity to engage with Jesus in the most serious, in the most exhausting moment of his earthly ministry. Thus far, he was under severe pressure and attack. No, no doubt the, the demonic activity that, that, that sought to op, uh, oppose Christ this night. For if Satan could keep him off the cross, he could keep salvation from all men. And Jesus said, pray with me for an hour. But they were too caught up in their desires and their own habits and their own ambitions. They had to get a little more rest. I think about our missionaries as they serve God around the world. Some of them find themselves in very dangerous places. As we prayed a moment ago for the Varghese, they're in India, a, a place of such ungodliness and, and true demonic activity. The, literally, the, the Indian people believe in millions of gods, temples everywhere, all kinds of, uh, of rituals and, and all these rites, and, and some of them so bizarre. But there's a spiritual presence in that land. And, and we have the opportunity to pray for folks like them. We have the opportunity to engage with them as they serve God in a, a dark place. I think of folks that are in Africa, especially some that are in that northern region, that, that western part of Africa, the, the, the great influence of, of Muslims, and, and even those in, in, in South Africa, that region where the Moors are there in Botswana, just the, the occultic practices that have come from the natives for generations. They had been following after all kinds of demonic presences and spirits. And we have an opportunity to engage with them. But we're too distracted in this life. See, prayer sets us apart because prayer removes us from the everyday life. You might have to miss your favorite television show. You might have to miss a ball game. You might have to miss something you desire. And I think that's one reason people don't pray. Look there in verse number 41. He says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. This goes back to our second point, but prayer removes us from temptation. Jesus commands us to pray that we enter not into temptation or that God doesn't lead us in tempta to, into temptation. We ought to be praying and as we watch and we pray, we find ourselves naturally as we follow the scriptures, as we follow the word of God and, and, and his truth, we find ourselves being led away from temptation. But our flesh doesn't desire that. The natural man doesn't desire that. And often we would rather be caught up in our desires than to be led away from temptation. Finally, thinking about prayer separating us from or setting us apart spiritually. Look at verse number 41 one more time. It says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It allows us to live a spirit-filled life. 
you would think that would be attractive to most people. But isn't it a shame? I think it's safe to say even among Christian people, and I know I don't speak for everyone, and I wish I didn't speak for anyone, but there's a lot of people that have no desire, no appetite to walk in the Spirit. I'm not here to question your salvation tonight, but as a believer, as as a born-again child of God, I want to walk in the Spirit. I'm not saying I always do. I, I can obviously say I don't always but I always want to, want to. I have a desire to. And prayer forces you into the Spirit. It engages you spiritually. And I suppose that's one reason why people skip prayer time. Number four, and we'll close with this. Having a prayer life requires spiritual growth. Turn back to, or turn over, I guess, to John chapter 15. We'll just look at one verse here. This is where Jesus talks about the vine and him being the vine, we're the branches, the need to bring forth fruit. John chapter 15, a familiar chapter for many of us. Verse 7, a very powerful verse. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you're in me, if you're saved and you're walking in the Spirit, And the Word of God is abiding, dwelling within you. Truth is within you. And ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. See, prayer has a direct correlation with our faith and obedience in the Scriptures. But as God shows us things, we have a requirement to make a decision. See, if you, st- if, you, if you say tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to pray, whether or not I know how to pray, I'm going to choose to pray. And we trust the Lord in our prayer time, and we begin to pray. And I know that for many of us, maybe even if you've had a, a, a lack in your prayer life, if you've, you've had a, um, months or maybe even years where there's been an absence of prayer, it's, it's very difficult to just try to renew that. It's like seeing an old friend you hadn't seen in, you know, 20 years. You, you try to talk to them, and it's not like it was in high school. Everything's changed for both of you. And you've got to kind of start over. That's really how prayer is. But let's say you, you decide tonight whether your, your prayer life is close to being what it ought to be or very far from that. You say, I'm going to determine to pray. And you begin to pray and you, you make it a routine where daily you spend time with God. It won't be long before God starts to show you things. See, prayer is more than just us talking to God. Once again, I can't explain this, but I can assure you, you learn to engage in prayer. And I'm not saying you're going to hear God's voice, but you're going <laughs> to hear God's voice. You're going to hear God show you things and speak to you and declare unto you things that you would have missed out had you not been in prayer. You won't know, you won't hear His voice audibly, but He's going to direct you in ways that He could only direct you as you engage in prayer. Then you're left with a decision. Do I follow? Do I trust Him? Or do I disobey? There's really only one option. Do I obey or disobey? As David says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. See, when you make that decision to disobey, you've thus ended your prayer life. Because your prayer life cannot continue until you 
obey the Lord. I suppose that many people have sought out to walk with God and live for God and pray until they faced a difficulty that was, they felt too hard for them to overcome. They, they faced something that they felt like faith couldn't see them through. And they said no to God. And as they said no in this one area, they also said no to their prayer life. I read a, <clears throat> just a paragraph of a missionary I just heard about the other day. I'm going to hopefully get a, he's got an autobiography. His name's John Payton. And uh, in the 1800s, he sailed for an archipelago off the coast of northeastern Australia. New Hebrides, I think is what it's called. Maybe some of you are familiar with him. But he went to a, he, he said, I, I knew that God was calling me into missions, but I just didn't know where. And he began to lead in this area, and it was such a step of faith, because in those days, it was uncommon for anyone to go into these remote places. It was such a, it was such a unique thing, and there were so many dangers. But he had recently gotten married, and he took his wife, and they sailed, took months. I think he came from England or, or Great Britain area, somewhere up there, and he, he sailed all the way through, and and ended up out there on the uh, one of these islands. And it, uh, by the way, these people were cannibals. <clears throat> In the story, it said they were man-eating cannibals. And I thought, what other cannibals are there? But he showed up on these islands. And within a couple months, his wife had a baby. Which shortly after that died. And then she died. He began to search God and say, God, what, what have you brought me to? The story has it that he laid on his, their graves for three nights because the cannibals would have dug them up and eaten them. And he really began to search God and say, God, what you, would you bring me here for? He didn't know the language. He had no converts. And then there was a man that had left these tribes out of fear and came to him. And through the course of weeks, they found a way to communicate. This man, he he finally ended up finding the words for cross and Savior and explained that Jesus died for his sins and he accepted Christ. And he left and he found another man that had been exiled from the colony or the tribes. And he came back, and that man was brought to Christ. The native said when John Payton arrived, there were no Christians. When he left, there were no cannibals. He used a man that was willing to surrender and pray, say, God, I'll be available. Is it safe to say tonight that far too many people have no desire for that life of faith. I'm not saying God's going to call you to a man-eating, cannibalistic island. But sometimes God leads us to things that we don't necessarily desire or want. And our prayer life, if you're going to continue in prayer, you're going to have to obey. 
My points were all negative tonight. But you don't have to allow these things to hold you up. You don't have to allow these few things to keep you from prayer. Because these are obstacles for all of us. They're obstacle, they were obstacles for Paul. They were obstacles for Peter. They're obstacles for Pastor. No one's flesh desires prayer. Prayer is not easy for anyone. But those who engage in it find the blessings that only God can give through a man or a woman or a young person who learns to pray. For the next few weeks, I really encourage you to take inventory of your prayer life. And would you decide with me that we're going to become a praying people? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And it's only a house of prayer if the people that enter the house are people of prayer. The house doesn't do the praying. Mount Zion Baptist Church building doesn't do any praying. It's church members, the church, you are the ones that caused this to be a house of prayer.